Welcome to another episode of Tales from the Tables with your host, Rob Bradley. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Tales from the Tables. I'm your host, Rob Bradley, and I'm joined by my two co-hosts, JC and James. Hey fellas, how you doing? Hello. Hey, good afternoon, morning, evening, whenever you're listening to this. Hi. Always a pleasure to be firing up the podcast with you both. And in this week's episode, we're joined by a professional stage and improv actor, a fellow cast member of JC's in their hit New York comedy show, Batsu, which is actually coming to the Edinburgh Fringe this August. Please welcome everyone, Nikki Cole. Nikki, how you doing? Hello, everybody. Thank you for having me. I'm doing terrific. Yeah. <laughs> Great stuff. Well, we've decided to bring Nikki in because we really want to have a deep dive into improv. It can seem quite a daunting task. It feels like there's a lot of pressure on you to come up with stuff on the fly. However, as professional actors and improv artists, JC and Nikki have various different tools and they can use when faced with having to make an idea on the spot, having to be suddenly spontaneous and come up with something completely out of the ordinary. So great. It's really want to have you, Nikki. Awesome. Thank you for having me. But of course, before we get into all of that, James, JC, you guys had good weekends? Yeah. Yeah. I had a, I had a good weekend. I was, um, I went out, went out in London, uh, tried some of those for the first time. There's like fluffy, um, pancakes, like the deep ones. Ooh. And they might be the most delicious thing I've ever tasted in my entire life. I realize it's not D and D related in any way, <laughs> but they are incredible. That sounds delicious. I'll have one right now. Thank you. What kind of pancake are we talking here, James? Are you, are you, I'm trying to kind of envision it. Are you? It's it's one. Of, I can't remember exactly what they're called, but they're like the jiggly pancakes that um, they Butter they're milk? essentially they're Butter essentially pancake. No, no, no. Like no? they're like maybe like an inch or two, an inch and a half deep, um, wow. almost like a cake. But they've got crikey. They're so fluffy and they jiggle when you when you shake them. And that's amazing. You smother them with enough chocolate, and I'll pretty much eat anything. But these, <laughs> I feel like we need to open up a D and D themed uh, restaurant. Restaurant. And we serve brunch, right? But we in, we serve pancakes, but we have them carved to look like flumps. You know, because yep. it would be the perfect. Oh wow! Sort of yeah. Analog- you know, analogous. That'd be thing. great. <laughs> and then just between hors d'oeuvres, you have like a load of orcs come like storm in and start kicking off. There is a there is a exactly. D D cookbook, isn't there? Uh, there is. Yeah, it looks. Really um, I think they're releasing a sequel to it as well. So. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Shh, that's news. That's for later. That's for later. Oh yeah. Sorry. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Save it for the news. Save it for the news. <laughs> so, uh, JC, how about yourself? What have you been up to? Yeah, not too bad. I had a couple of games this weekend, which was good fun. Obviously, Great. I was also doing the improv show uh, with Nikki. Were you on Saturday? I forget. Uh, yeah, it was first show Saturday. I, yeah, I heard about the second show Saturday. That was a nightmare. We had a. I'm, <laughs> I'm now training on sound and technical stuff as well, and so I'm doing tech in the booth. And we had a like a light blackout situation, and the whole board got reprogrammed. So it was a nightmare. Oh, um, it was just <laughs> oh, the worst man, thing that happened, especially to somebody in training. You're like, it's my fault. I feel like it's my oh, fault. Man. Well, it's a good job you got these improvisation skills, then. Hey, JC, keep it on going somehow. Yeah. Show must go on. Um, but a- we we managed to figure it out, and the audience barely noticed at all which is usually the case but you know still 
nerve-wracking. Um, but apart from that, yeah, had a couple of games, ran uh, my usual campaign of Wayfinders, which was uh, a blast, as per usual. Not as many shenanigans as I might have expected, but still close enough. Lots of trauma. We'll get into that. And um, on Sunday, I had... Um, I had a monthly recurring Waterdeep Dragon Heist game, which Ooh. has been a lot of fun. This is the one I think I've prefaced before, talking about how the party adopted an intellect devourer, basically like a mind flayer brain on puppy legs. Um, and they've yeah. recently allowed this intellect devourer to get inside the head of an assassin that was chasing them. Um, and is that assassin is now just basically a meat puppet that the intellect devourer, which is oh. Arnold. Um, so he's kind of puppeteering that right now. And it's just sort of following them along. And they had a, a, a bit of an interesting situation this week. I, I wanted to share it. Um, so shout out to that group. Um, they were trying to infiltrate the manor home of this corrupt noble that's sort of been pursuing one of the player characters for quite a long time. Um, kind of like a Valjean Javert situation, for those of you familiar with Les Mis. Um, but basically, the group arrived and knocked on the front door and were like, hello, we are the Razzle, we're Raz's Razzle Dazzle performing group, and we're here to perform for you. None of them are born. FYI. None of them have even any like musical proficiencies. Um, and in the meantime, the rogue snuck around the estate looking for another entrance. And sure enough, he found um, a barn door entrance that sort of led into a coach house. So he managed to get like a natural 20 on a stealth check, total of 27 or something ridiculous like that. Worked out so well. Picked the lock of the barn door. Excellent check. Um, I said, yeah, you see the horses, but they're not immediately spooked because you're moving around so stealthily. So everything was going swimmingly. And then I have to share this because I've been telling a lot of people this weekend about this. Um, he got to the the exit to this coach house and he could see the main house that he wanted to go in, infiltrate and steal something from. Um, and a couple of guards were on patrol, but they sort of walked away. And I was like, OK, the path looks clear. And he's like this feels like a trap. Oh, this feels like a trap. Oh, no, no, no. I feel like this is a trap. And I was like, what about what I just said makes you think it's a trap? <laughs> what am I not communicating? But he was like, Ugh. all right, I need a distraction. Um, I'm going to take uh, a flask of oil and a tinderbox, and I'm going to light the barn on fire. And I was like, you're, you're sure you want to do this? And he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then I'll hide in the haystack, and then when the guards come to investigate, I'll jump out the haystack and get around behind them and go get to the house. And I was like, okay, that, that seems to track. <laughs> but then through the result of the random die that we were just rolling, he ended up lighting only a little bit of a portion of the, of the barn on fire, but the horses completely panicked. They all, like, rolled twos and threes on their wisdom saving throws. And so there was basically a stampede, and they managed to run over and crush to death the 14 year old stable boy that was <gasps> oh, in the coach nice. house as he was trying to close the barn door that the player <laughs> yeah, left open right? right he was like oh god don't let the horses ah! <laughs> oh, man. um and then the guards come over right to investigate the rogue sure enough is like oh i kind of feel bad and he sneaks out the side and he's like moving to the house but at this point the guards were shouting like fire fire and there was like stampedes of boots and stuff so people from the main house went to investigate and the whole time the rest of the party was just hanging out and doing this awesome performance i think there was a natural 20 rolled in there as well and the noble was impressed and then suddenly he heard this commotion outside he's like oh um 
you'll you'll have to excuse me for a moment and he went to the door and sure enough as the thief is there like trying to pick the lock and open the door the owner of the house and the noble with his like big bodyguard opened the door in front of him he's like oh hello <laughs> hi <laughs> and more shenanigans ensued from there i'm like okay uh, awesome brilliant. this is going on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> fantastic yeah. And uh, Nikki, are you in any any D and D games at the moment? I am actually. I am currently playing through the uh, Tomb of Annihilation with oh, yeah. uh, some longtime friends of mine. Yeah, my really my first long time D and D campaign. Okay, cool. How yeah. enjoying it? I'm loving it actually. We ended up playing. We've been playing this game, this campaign for two and a half years at this point, which is astounding yep. to me. <laughs> wow. uh, I think yeah. we Gosh, picked it's, it up. It's incredible, isn't it? Right. It's it's crazy how and really, again, I have maybe played D&D once or twice uh, prior to this, but this is something that I initiated, I think, over the pandemic, just because my friends weren't <laughs> doing anything. Yeah, yeah. Cool. You know, and uh, yeah, we've kept it up the entire time. And, I'm, you know, obviously, you guys sound like you're familiar with the tomb. So, you know, how much of a how much of a crawl it is. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've heard i've never played it myself but i've heard good things about like, racing on dinosaurs and stuff and all that oh kind yeah of business yeah. yeah that's pretty cool yeah, that's so, that's the fun part that's the part that draws everybody into the module mm-hmm. when right. i when i give players choices i'm like hey guys you know we could run a different campaign here's a couple of different suggestions and they're always like oh let's go with the dinosaur racing one that one sounds like a blast i'm like okay cool keep in mind that there is a very dangerous high level tomb it's in oh, the man. name of the adventure it's sure. called tomb of annihilation and people <laughs> totally forget that and then when they get there they're like this place sucks why are we dying and everything wants to kill us constantly <laughs> who could have possibly called this yeah right oh it's so funny so nikki what's your um character for that campaign oh man i've actually so uh so during the course of this campaign i've already uh i've had two characters i've experienced my first character death Ooh, uh, you know which oh, was, yeah. I was like, oh man but what a what a way to go uh but yeah. currently i'm playing a um I'm playing a rogue, uh, a halfling rogue, nice. who happened to join the party. And uh, the DM and I were, I'm very proud of this, actually. The DM and I were able to sort of finagle a reason as to why this rogue was able to join the party halfway through the campaign, um, nice. which is really great. You know, I think uh, as part of the campaign, I, they're hired by uh, a third party to basically go out and solve this adventure. Hmm. And I told the DM, like, listen, I just want... Uh, this new character to basically be uh, a presence in the shadows the entire time, basically helping that first party get through all of their. Oh, that's so cool. Exactly. Like, you know, um, you know, and we went back and like thought about all the, like the canon events that happened to them and be like, Oh, remember the time that we like miraculously found that key or whatever? Well, it was because the rogue, like, you know, did stuff in the background to uh, enable that. That's so awesome. Oh, I yes. love that. A, a way to commemorate and memorize that character throughout, right? Like, just always have them still involved in their own way. Hard to introduce a new character, like, halfway through a campaign once your yours dies without it yeah. seeming sort of weirdly forced. There's a lot of, ah, oh, the bad guys had him chained up in a dungeon, and we've just yeah, exactly. him, and nope, yeah. with us. <laughs> Actually, yeah. prison scenarios are usually the best way to yeah, introduce they are. <laughs> a new character. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Oh, brilliant. Okay, so, um, so what what level are you guys at, at the moment? Oh man, I think we're we're like level eleven. 
I think. Level nice. 11. Level wow, 11, that's, yeah. that's a good level to be. Yeah, nice. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So, Proficiency bonus just went up. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. It uh, definitely helps just because we need a, we're a three-man band in the Tomb of Annihilation. And we oh, need wow. all the help we can get. Yeah. So cool. out of, I, I have to ask, because, sure. okay, spoilers, minor spoilers for a, an adventure that came out, I think, at this point, like five years ago. Um, but out of everything in the tomb so far, what has stuck out to you the most as like either the worst thing or the most ridiculous thing there? Oh, all man. the different traps and encounters and enemies and everything. Okay. Yeah. Because <laughs> there are a lot. There's a um, lot. <laughs> right. And as JC was alluding to, my DMs kind of says the same thing where he's like, yeah, this this gets into kind of a slog. Um, there's a lot of, uh, you know, I, and I certainly don't want to go blue on this podcast, but there's a lot of just straight BS, you know, <laughs> a lot of puzzles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of just like, oh, you stumbled into this and guess what? You're, you're, you know, um, fighting some awful abomination. Um, I mean, and, and you know, like it's, so for example, there's, uh, there is a, uh, a puzzle, JC, I think, do you know the one where there are just a bunch of tiles on the floor? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if you step on the wrong one, you know, a swarm of locusts come, comes out. To oh, yeah. Yep. Oh, yep. God. Right. And there's which... very little evidence or, or any kind of hint to tell you which tiles to step on in order to <laughs> properly do that. It's, so there's yeah. like no way of figuring it out. So, so, so you like, it's some tiles. Almost none. Yeah. Yeah. It's, of locusts, something like that. It, it's <laughs> wild because like what eventually happens is, and, and I don't know if this was like, I have to assume this was on you know, by design on the part of the, uh, the campaign writers, but like you can actually, you can actually access the room way before you're supposed to. I think like you go down a secret shaft or something and Mm -hmm, you enter mm -hmm. into this room and, you know, as people who, you know, as someone who's played a game before, I would assume, Oh, okay. This is, you know, this secret entrance is what enables you to, um, you know, find the clue or or exactly. Right. Because this is not how you're supposed to enter this room. And so we all got through there and we're just getting torn apart by these locusts until we're finally like, okay, whatever, let's just leave this. <laughs> we exit out, we go down, we go down another level to the point where, you know, you enter the room how you're supposed to. Mm-hmm. And then lo and behold, like the answer is like right there. You right. know what I mean? Right. That was like yeah. super but if mean. You, if you take the the secret entrance, which you feel like you should be rewarded exactly. for for having discovered it, it just yeah. bones you entirely. Yeah, right. Because yeah. you just <laughs> drop down in the middle of this sea of tiles, in which any wrong step will get you devoured by locusts. Yeah, but that tomb you, is full of BS. You know? right. Yeah, <laughs> but if you enter through the front door, you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> There's like the key right there. I I am. Um, I think the part that stood out to me the most, I think it's only on the second level, was that there is a a long hallway with a curtain near the end of it. Yes. And you don't, you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) I I do. Um, You get to that curtain, and of course, curious players being very cautious, they'll peek behind the curtain and such. And I may have the the actual details of this wrong, but... Mm -hmm. If I remember correctly, there is a massive boar head or like a pig head actually mounted on the wall and it has a bewitching effect so that you have to roll against being charmed. It might be a wisdom save with a relatively high DC. Mm -hmm. And if you fail, you are compelled to stick your head inside the mouth of this massive wall mounted pig head at which point it then chomps down dealing 10 d10 piercing damage to you or something ridiculous like that and if that zeros you out 
you die by having your head removed. And oh, that's oh, it. Right. There's no, there's, it's terrible trap design, but I know it's an homage <laughs> to like the older tomb of horrors, which exactly. was just that, right? Like come prepared with multiple different characters, but to tack on a tomb like this at the end of a long and meaningful high stakes, well-invested campaign, and then have a boar head that could one shot kill your character in the middle of a dungeon. And then have to introduce someone new for like the last, hopefully a few sessions feels very cheap so i i, I yeah. saw that i was like i'm taking that out no 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 <laughs> this is, it'll this do the damage here. but it's, yeah. it's not decapitating my place. right right yeah. yeah it could zero you out but why would it yeah sever your head why are you compelled to stick your head in a boar in a boar mouth or a pit oh, mouth God. it's ridiculous <clears throat> that's a bit like uh, the sphere annihilation isn't it where you've got that like that yeah. dark area where there's like nothing going on it's mm. just completely black they're like oh, i'm just gonna put my arm in it i'm just gonna put my head in it you're like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay that's, I, think, I think Tomb of Horrors originated the Sphere of Annihilation, and that's in that the sense. Tomb of Annihilation, I think. It's it? also, yeah, there's that, you know, very traditional looking sort of devil's head with a beard and the gaping mouth <clears throat> and the two yeah, curved yeah, yeah. horns. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, the switch is through the mouth or something, or there's treasure through the mouth, something like that. And then you stick Wait, your arm that, through. Is oh, that what oh, it is? Spoilers! Spoilers! I think we've encountered it. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of nonsense just like that where one of yeah. our uh, yeah. our half orc barbarian has lost an arm because of it because yeah. he had to God. to stick it in there. Yeah. Well, if as he... as being tales from the tables, I have to say this my um my tomb of annihilation game wrapped up in the best way possible. Oh, nice! They got to the final end of the dungeon, and they were of course just expended you know they they could barely have a long rest in the dungeon they had no more resources left all their potions were gone they were themselves psychologically tired from the dungeon and of course there's a huge boss battle at the end of it no i'm not going to mm -hmm. get into too many spoilers for you uh nikki but I'll, I'll tell you how it ended and i'm like i don't know what to do because i don't want to rob them of the boss that they've been chasing this whole time the the bbeg right. but at the same time i don't want to overwhelm them or cheapen the encounter by making the BBEG kind of, you know, weak. So I, speaking of improv, I was kind of there being like, I'm just going to go with the flow and, and see however way the situation turns out. And one of my players had, he was playing this, if there's anything beyond the grid of chaos, if you could, if you could widen the margins on the alignment grid and see more <laughs> levels of chaos on the right. He would be well beyond that. He was the most chaotic player I've organic character I've ever had. Um, he was playing, a, I believe a goblin and um, he, yeah, his name was seven because he was supposed to believe this survivor of an alchemical experiment and the six others had previously failed. And so he was number seven, <clears throat> nice. the only survivor. So um, the party had just found a second bag of holding. And they saw this boss at the end of the last room. And Seven was like, all right, guys, I'm going to try something. And he ran over. He, I think he teleported over to the boss with a bag of holding and grabbed the other bag of holding from another party member at the last second. And then landed um, on the boss's face <laughs> and sort of just like death gripped his face with his tiny goblin body. And because of some magic item that he was wearing, it also so happened that he lost all of his carried and worn um, equipment in the process, or I think all of his worn equipment in the process. So he landed naked on the final boss's face, rubbing, as he described it, his goblin accoutrements 
onto the boss <laughs> and then shoved his second bag of holding into the first, which if you guys know how that works, which from your faces I see, yep, the bag of holding creates, when you put two bags of holding together, they create a portal to the astral plane and it sucks everything in in a 10-foot radius in through that portal. And that's how the tiny naked Goblin 7 defeated the world-ending BBEG of Tomb of Annihilation. And it blinked out in the, in the blink of an eye. Great player sacrifice. Awesome moment. Yeah, that is pretty cool. Oh, that's good. That is very, very cool. Have you guys ever seen um, the uh, the Game Masters documentary on Netflix? Is it on Netflix? Ooh. It might be on Amazon Prime. I'm not too sure. It's on one of them. I don't think I have, actually. <clears throat> I don't, I don't think I have either. It's quite interesting. It's um, It's quite old now, actually, the documentary. Way before, way before D and D became like massive again, and in the documentary, there's a guy. They interview this guy, and he's like, he's like, yeah, you know. So I, I gave the character, the, the players who I've been playing with for the last like forty years, um, an option. They could either go left or right, and they went left. And left happened to be a sphere of annihilation, and they went through it. And I got all their character sheets and ripped them all up in front of their <gasps> faces, and that was the end of the game. Total party kill. And he was all like um, smug about it, like, yeah, well, you know, there you go. <laughs> Whoa! Yeah, it's yeah. really, really, it's That's... really funny. <laughs> it's just oh, it's a brutal evil way to lose, bastard. All yeah. your characters in one go as well. I've yeah. never understood the sort of mentality behind tearing the character sheet i get that that's very symbolic and you know it's got a long-standing tradition from the early days but i mean at least like frame that stuff or like put it in a folder where you can discover it years later and be like oh yeah that was torn up shreds i guess so right like save the scraps but like it seems so needlessly petty to me i don't know (laughs) just yeah well i've 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 never done done it. it I've been, I've been uh, to quote to quote JC. I've been needlessly petty. <laughs> funnily enough, funnily enough, the church, the church guys who um, I, I played, I ran a game for them in their, mm. their church, uh, not last weekend, the weekend before, and we spoke about it in the last podcast. Their first game I did with them in September, one of their players went into a sphere annihilation. I just got his character. So there you go. Sorry, uh, can sorry. we edit that yeah. part out? That's <laughs> <laughs> fine. No, it's fine. It's funny. It's funny. Uh, love you, Rob. I can't wait to play in a game with you again. Yeah. This is this is great, JC, because yeah. I've already I've already okay. burnt bridges. I've already burnt bridges. Talk about how I don't like monks. So now you've done it with. Uh... It's true. It's true. Yeah, we're, exactly. we're on even footing. Exactly. Yeah. Don't worry. We all just secretly hate each other. It's fine. <laughs> does, does, so does a sphere of annihilation result in an instant instant death? Yes. Okay. Okay, great. So we haven't run into that. If you walk, if you walk straight, if you walk straight into yeah, it, yes. Yeah. If, if you, you put your a arm in, yeah, yeah, you take damage, right? It's yeah, you like, do. Um, you lose your arm. Right. Okay. Okay. Great. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And anything you put in it just disappears completely. Yeah. Just, just yeah. yeah, it ceases to exist. I, I see you like taking a mental note of it, Nikki, and I'm like, yeah. So I guess make a mental note if you see a warbling purple or you know totally black sphere divorced from the natural light and environs around it, maybe don't stick a body. Don't stick a it. hand in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, right. actually, actually, a toe have, in. that's that's very meta, though, isn't it? You got to whatever your character doesn't know that exists. So that's you true. Have, yeah, that's true. Yeah, you can't. can't meta. You can't be doing that. <laughs> Yeah, just compelled to like stick my hand into stuff and be like, ooh, what's yeah, that? Was it, this was it here. Oh, shiny. <laughs> I mean, you'd be surprised how many players do that anyway. They're uh, like, what's yeah, this? Right. There's people in real life as well. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, Don't exactly. touch this wet paint. 
<laughs> is it still wet? Let me just see. Oh, 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 oh. oh yeah. Tess how it is. I, uh, I remember I was on the subway station once and there was a wet paint sign that says, do not touch. And then someone in the wet paint wrote out with their finger, make me. Brilliant. So James, any RPG news for the last, from last week? Yes. Well, we got some, some new, um, news direct from Wizards of the Coast, actually, um, Ooh. on Bigby presents Glory of the Giants, which is, yeah. um, I think, an upcoming release. I can't remember if it's the, no, I think the Fandelver one is the very next one, and then afterwards is Bigby. Um, cool. But yeah, there's some interesting stuff in it, new character creation stuff. It's mostly monsters. I think there's 75 new monsters in there. Um, but we'll start from the top. So uh, there is a Path of the Giant Barbarian you can now be, and it seems that their rage abilities that you can grow the giant oh, wow. size when you rage. Um, so oh, all the stuff we were idea. talking about, <laughs> where a lot of jokes. So people... the Hulk, you become the Hulk. It's kind of, yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. don't make me mad. Let me mad. You... Yeah. It's weird. It's taken that long to get there, actually, for there to be something that like close that. to the Hulk. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because that is like yeah. proper. Well, I suppose rage has always kind of has been like that, hasn't it? But yeah, exactly right. Damage but... resistance and, and anger. Yeah. From from what I read and watched, it looks like it is. So you, no matter what size you are, you increase to a certain size. I think it's giant size. So even mm. if you're That's a gnome, <laughs> you're going all the way up to giant size. If you're human, you're going up to. So you're all it, yeah. I think that's probably to balance it. It makes the the playing field nice and level when you do take that. Mm. Um, yeah, so that's great. So you can sneak in somewhere as a tiny little halfling and then immediately grow to giant size i think that'll be that'll be some quite as a bonus stuff. action too because you're yeah. raging right so yeah exactly so <laughs> enlarge so. reduce is going to be maybe a little obsolete if you've got one of these in your party <laughs> or they stack it and they're like how big can we go mm. well i think yeah, you probably right. could yeah that would be oh, proper ant man kind of mm. yeah <laughs> complete with the yeah. laugh that he does when he goes to giant size and yeah he's like whoa <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that is exactly what I'd uh, I'd expect to hear actually from any player doing that. <laughs> uh, there's a new origin which is a uh, giant foundling, so you can be a normal teeny tiny human raised by by giants like Tormund in Game of Thrones. Oh, so, kind of like that. Uh, nice. Kind of like that. Hopefully, less weirdly explicit stuff <laughs> well, <I> mean, <laughs> in the background yeah, right. for that. More. But, let, um, let's go the Disney route and say it's more yeah. like the foundlings in Mandalorian. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh wow. I thought I thought I was going somewhere else. I don't know where, but I didn't know that. Oh, okay. okay. No, yeah, cool. <laughs> no, exactly like that. That's perfect. That's much better than whatever imaginary thing I was thinking of. Um, so, so apparently the book will include tips on scaling encounters and emphasizing the size of of things. So tips you can do. I think one of the examples they gave was you know like have you're encountering a giant, have it be eating a watermelon like an apple or like a grape, just chucking mm. them away. That's cool. In different stuff like that, they've obviously not given too much away because they want people to buy the book, which is very disappointing. It'd be nice to just get it. Um, but yeah, uh, they do have a load of new locations with um, with maps included in the book as well. Oh, so um, they've got six which are tied to the your standard types of giants, and then two that are sort of separate. So they've got um, one that's apparently the root of the world tree, like an Yggdrasil. Um, style thing um sort of norse mythology um which would be quite cool and then there is also one that they've said they've sort of included so you can sort of drop it into any campaign where you're sort of 
trying to obtain magical items, which is a star forge, which is this molten forge made out of a fallen star. Which Sick. I'm a, I'm a big awesome. fan of because, yeah, the players always want cool magical items. And if they have to go and make them themselves, then, it, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I've never understood why they don't include actual like maps of dungeons in the published titles in the D and D books. Like the actual the actual maps of the dungeons you could take out and you mm-hmm. can go here you go and you can like fold them out. Like they kind of they have the maps of the world in some of them. Ah, but they don't. They never have the, the actual maps. big dungeons out. But you can actually yeah, they just come with a little you disclaimer. This is you can print you can copy and print this out for yourself. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like what? Thanks. Right, and it's, I've, I've had to scale it up hugely, and it's all sort of horribly faded yeah. now. Yeah. So that is the one good thing about using the online table tops is on roll 20 they mm. they do have all the maps transferred over there and the quality is very good and i imagine foundry too sorry face um is when so you can yeah you can have it all there so when you buy the module in in, in roll 20 uh, or upload it into foundry then yeah the maps are there to scale for the for the adventure which is really helpful when when running them every time you say roll 20 face gets another little gray hair in his beard <laughs> <laughs> Are you trying to encourage me or <laughs> uh, they've announced there's gonna be some giant sized weapons, including a giant blunderbuss, which is one they wanted to highlight. So that's great. It's awesome. I can imagine that's gonna deal a hell of a lot of damage and be quite difficult for people to use. Basically a cannon. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. Like a warship, like the ones they got outside the Imperial War Museum. You ever seen them? Right, right. Yeah. Those two yeah, big, yeah. big friggin' things. Flipping neck. Right off, I saw them. I was like, "These, these, these can't be real." Yeah, you you see the how large they are. You're like, they're they're not functional. They're decorative. They're like a they're like a sculpture. No. They were on a ship. <laughs> there was more of them than what two the as fuck well. Is yeah. that about <laughs> massive, great big fucking cannons? Yeah, <laughs> I drop f bombs. I. I don't apologize. Um, <laughs> so the other thing they've said is they, they they put a load of adventure hooks in. They weren't too specific about what they would be, um, but they've got loads of D20, D10, D8 rollable tables for like giant-based adventure hooks and cool. match up with the maps a little bit um, so that you can incorporate those a bit easier. Um, and finally, 75 new monsters. Now, there's, I don't have a list of all yes. 75. You'll be very glad to see, but the cool ones... <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. So there's elemental affected giants. There's like Love what looks that. to be a frost giant made out of ice. Um, cool. Uh, there's the one they showed off, but so I imagine there'll also be some sort of like mist and air, like air themed giant for storm sure. giants. Cloud and, makes sense. Yeah, nice. or cloud. Yeah. Cloud, cloud does make much more sense than storm. Uh, storm, maybe lightning. It's made of lightning. There we go. Um, cool. Uh, they much like my favorite thing from the last like monster book which was the dragons where there was a mind flayer dragon there is now going to be a mind flayer etin um nice which, oh boy which is great because there's more mind flayer stuff for me and jc to throw at our players um <laughs> you guys love your mind flayers we're gonna work we it into every single episode of this podcast <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Um, what if you can go go for one episode without ever mentioning them i wonder no, it's not possible. Can it be done? Can it be done? Can it we'll be try, done? but it, w- it won't work. No. <laughs> um, there are also going to be some giant animals. So there's a, a giant tick. Um, oh, oh, God. God. Oh, oh, Christ. That oh, is God. kind of a monster that's in its own right, really, upsetting. isn't it? Yeah, face, the that's the monster. Yeah. yeah. Lyme it's disease. Like, but... It's like fleas. When you, see a, when you see a flea, when you see a flea up like on a, under a microscope. Oh, oh they're oh, terrifying. Or a dust mite. 
You ever seen a dust oh, mite up oh, close? Yeah. Gross. Yeah. Right. They're horrific looking things. Vile creatures. Um so ah, you can fight yes. them in D and D five E. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Will not prevent real life Lyme disease, we should probably <laughs> disclaimer that. Um <laughs> there is a giant goose that lays golden eggs. So if you're doing you want to do your oh, standard yeah, fairy tale Jack <laughs> Jack of the Beanstalk mm. giant up at the top of a, a beanstalk with a goose that lays a golden eggs. Great, you can now make that reality. And there's stats for the goose, um, which I imagine is horribly vicious, yeah. as all geese yeah. are. Um, yeah. Aggressive. Uh, pure evil. Pure evil. Pure. Much like much Eldridge. like swans. We we in the yep, UK swans pretend swans 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 are lovely animals and the royal family own them and it's all very nice, mm-hmm. but no, they're evil. They're evil. They are pure evil. Um, <laughs> they'll be they'll break your arm. That's with what, their that's, neck that's the standard yeah. thing you've got to say if you're talking about swans their head around and suddenly yeah. you have a limb broken yeah <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah the other things are there's some giant um, cultists that have been corrupted so giants that have, have joined cults and been corrupted by otherworldly um, oh. forces um, that's so and funny then... you said giant cultists and I think I, mm. I realized you could interpret that in three different ways yeah that's why are... right. <laughs> yeah. yeah you can either have yeah, I was thinking the same massive thing cultists you can have cultists that worship giants, or you can have something else. There was a big one there. <laughs> yeah, you're not giants, giants, that giants that are cultists. Giants that are cultists. Yeah, they're just really enthusiastic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a giant fan. <laughs> Huge. Love being in a cult. Uh, yeah, that's that's it. There's some. Oh, a non-corrupted Fomorians. So they've decided to. Ooh. Oh, that's so cool. Oh, sorry. That, that's me nerding out. That's really cool. Okay. The lore behind Fomorians is they were once a race of very beautiful, very magically empowered giants. And something happened in their history. They got very greedy. They were cursed, I think, by Titania herself, um, and because they were originally from the Feywild. And they all became physical versions of their inner sort of corruption. So that's why they're all deformed and they have the, the weird eye and um, all this other stuff. But I've often sort of trying to been looking for lore in previous editions as to what the Fomorians actually looked like or what they were capable of. And you get very little of that. So I'm super excited for that. That's awesome. <clears throat> I'm done nerding out. Yeah. Sorry. That's it. That's, that's me. Me done. Yep. That's the RPG news. news. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. Great. So uh, JC, any updates from the RPG Roldock community? Oh, yes, we do. All right. So we've got a couple of submissions this week um, for Tales from the Tables. Um, the first one... Our DM in Windsor, Jack Price. Um, he runs the Keepers of Chaos campaign and actually has just had the two-shot finale last week, which apparently went wild. As in his own words, Jack Price, we encountered a skeleton minotaur ridden by a ghostly tapeworm in the stinking intestine of a kraken. Ugh. After a series of deep moral dilemmas involving the souls of dead mages, the party was ejected through an illusory ceiling and out of a blowhole. They started falling from 1,000 feet in the air and somehow managed to safely land back on the island, only to realize it was actually a chaos magic-powered dragon turtle with a blowhole breath weapon. The whole party was rapidly running out of HP, with the dragonborn on death saves while they floated away in the ocean. Things were crazy tense until Oleander, the bard, came in clutch with a hypnotic pattern. Everyone held actions for a full round while the beast was incapacitated and absolutely wrecked it 
for a cumulative 216 damage. Crikey. Closest we've ever come to a TPK. Real edge of the seat stuff. Ah, awesome. Thank you, Jack. That was yeah, amazing. Thank you, Jack. That's, that's incredible. That is pretty sick. I mean, mm. and end of campaign two shots and finales and stuff should aspire to that level of epicness, I feel yeah. like. Yeah. Even Absolutely. With, complete with ghostly tapeworms and cracking intestines and stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, and our second <laughs> submission is from Alex Ball, our DM in Birmingham, um, from the Spectra Friday Night Campaign. <clears throat> I may be mispronouncing some of the names here since I don't actually know, but for, in his own words, the Chalk Ice Boys, boys with a Z, have found themselves in a spot of hot water after uh, accidentally joining a cult. Yeah, oh, a cult, nice. It happens. Very current. It happens, yep. A giant cult, is it, by any chance? Giant, yeah. we, we, well, we're about to find out. Okay. Or, are they, or are they giants and they're just in a cult? Exactly, we, we don't know. Um, believing that they were going on a bodyguard job, protecting the leader of the Gradients, the Chalk Ice Boys failed to communicate with each other that they weren't getting paid for this and ended up in a self-reliant commune where they were expected to farm and rear animals. <laughs> After a day nice. of hard labor, the gang decided to sack it all off and do some digging into what was going on. They waited until 2.30 a.m snuck out of the bunkhouse and over towards the offices of the more senior members of the cult. On the way to those offices, they noticed the leader of the cult, Father Blanc, knelt down on the ground and shoveling dirt in his mouth. After a brief discussion, the boys decided that it was none of their business and continued onwards, breaking (laughs) their way into the offices through San the Rogue's expert lockpicking. Minor JC insertion here. Um... You are blessed with players that ignore such things. That's in a good, yeah. it's sometimes a good thing because any little weird thing, my players are immediately suspicious of. They're like, dirt in his yeah, mouth? Right. What kind of dirt is it? Is it magic dirt? Does it give me a plus one to my dirt? And I'm like, chill, <laughs> chill. It's just dirt. <laughs> yeah, right. It's just yeah. a weird uh, little guy, Ian. What's that guy doing? <laughs> is he like some kind of like earth vampire? Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, right. So, uh, continuing. Um, Sand the Rogue picks the lock in the office, climbing through a hatch in the floor pointed out by Tixor the fighter. The boys descended into a basement below the offices. Searching through different rooms, they found evidence of worship towards a creature known as Ohicton, the Titan of Corruption. Ooh, there we go. We got a giant reference. It is a cult about giants. There we go. It's a Titan. Um, The Titan of Corruption. After a brief combat where Tixor the fighter had to bludgeon a blood elemental out of Chester the Paladin, Jesus, using soap in a pillowcase as a weapon, they stumbled across a room filled with medical equipment. In the center of the room, strapped to a chair and drained of all blood, lay a cult member that Tixor was sharing a bunk bed with. After recovering from that horror, the Chalk Ice Boys descended further into tunnels that led below the cult compound. They worked their way through the tunnels, finding scraps of paper from a journalist who apparently went undercover in the cult but ended up getting caught and thrown down into the tunnels where they met their untimely demise. Eventually, the boys found their way into a strange cavern filled with gruesome nests. They were ambushed by creatures laying in wait for them and now have to try and fight their way out. Dun, dun, dun! That's incredible. (laughs) That's cool. Whenever, Whenever you hear an update like that, I immediately think to myself, you know, these players clearly understand improv. 
Mm. You know, because you can you can tell that that's that's a lot. There's a lot of improvisation going on there, like the the the, the, the bar of soap in the pillow in the yep. pillow slip as yep. a weapon, that kind of thing. It's just. It's just wicked, isn't it? And I, yeah. I didn't and know my, my mother was playing D&D in Alex's game. That's, that's oh, <laughs> oh, James, no! <laughs> <laughs> oh, no! Crikey. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. What a good segue, Rob. Yeah, did you like that? Yeah, yeah. that was, that was <laughs> Yeah, cheers, cheers, cheers. I think a lot of a lot of players certainly when I've when I've run games in the past and you get like beginner players and they get they get very nervous when mm. being not necessarily put on the spot but when it's their turn to kind of make a decision they often go oh you know they 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 struggle with what they don't know what to say they don't know what to do they can't quite get they can't quite embody their character enough to improvise on the fly mm. so I was wondering would you guys as obviously professional improv artists what sort of advice would you give to players that struggle with improvisation? Yeah, I, I think maybe the first thing that comes to mind is um, just because of what you were saying, Rob, which is like, I think a lot of times we're paralyzed by like the inability to make a decision, you know, both in obviously in D&D and, you know, when improvising as well. Um, I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not always saying that this leads to the best decision, but yeah, sometimes sure, yeah. the best decision is the one that you make. You know what I mean? Uh, because there are, and trust me, even in this campaign that we've been playing, there are a multitude of scenarios in which we are just hunkered down and we, and yeah. you know, you get stuck in analysis paralysis, right? We're <laughs> processing this and trying to be like, oh crap, what's the, you know, what's the best analysis paralysis? Analysis paralysis, exactly. Yeah, that's good. No, so, no, no. Yeah, I'll that's, give a, credit that's a great credit term, JC. I've heard that from like all my teachers forever. So, <laughs> okay, you could give us a bit more context about it. Right. That's right. So it's um, basically when you're trying to work something out and you just keep revisiting the same concepts over and over and talking yourselves into a circle and thus mm-hmm. nothing gets done either if you're in a D&D campaign or you're on stage trying to, you know, tell wow. the next joke or keep the show moving, right? Oh, okay, interesting. Right, and you and you end up just sort of spinning your wheels whereas just sort of like with improv JC like when mm, we're playing yeah. um for example like story um mm. which is a game we play in our in our improv show. You know, a lot of the times, the some of the best ones are the ones in which someone makes an offer, right? You throw something out there and you have other people to yep. sort of rely on and sort of build upon that. You know, this sounds like Improv Fundamentals 101, but, you know, it doesn't have to be this like the, the, the best prompt or even the most original or, or whatever it is. It just has to be something that's right. strong mm-hmm. enough for somebody to be like, ah, yes, and, right? And it's the same thing with like, I think when I first started playing this game as playing this campaign as well, never having really, you know, sat down and embodied a character from D and D, I was like, oh shoot, like there are so many things that you could do. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, my DM is way more experienced. And I thought to myself, okay, well, let me just take a take a stab at it, yep. right? Let me take a, a strong make a strong choice and see where this leads. And even if it's not you know, maybe like the most optimal, it is a choice. And I've right. got other party members to sort of back me up on this, right? And my DM will, will gently lead yeah. me to A good where, DM you know, will know how to, to do be. that. So, right. yeah, exactly. I think, um, I think Eric, whom Nikki knows relatively well, um, has put it best. He's one of our improv teachers and one mm-hmm. of the founders of Batsu. Um, he... I think said... it when He was specifically workshopping that game we, Nikki was talking about, Story, and he said... Your goal in this shouldn't be oh, yeah. to be funny. 
And your goal should be to make the others the best offer you can make them, right? Give, don't focus so much on what you're doing. Yes. Empower your teammates because it's all, you know, you're working as part of a team in that game. And likewise in D&D, you want, and, and, and conversely, when you hear someone else say that, and this is the part that really stood out to me about what Eric said, um, it is a gift. It is a gift. And he did the whole Sean Bean from Lord of the Rings thing. It is a mm. gift. Um, where <laughs> you have to realize the genius of it, even if it's not actually all that awesome, right? If you act, if you really put yourself into the mentality of, right. wow, that thing that they just said was amazing. I thought Bobby was going to be just an office worker, but they actually made him an astronaut. Wow. What an offer. I'm going to use that and run with it. And if, if you build yourself up in that way, that helps you achieve success in the general part of the game and how it looks to an audience. Right. Um, likewise, I think with D and D, like you were saying, Nikki, right. So if you, if you're there to help empower your team, not only are you a better table player, you're also helping the DM tell the story because yeah. now you're working in tandem and sure, everybody has their backgrounds, their own objectives and goals and whatnot. Um, but at the end of the day, this is a group. It's basically like a group telling game. That's, that's what yeah. it is, right? You, if, if we wanted a more mm -hmm. on rails narrative, DMs would just go write books. Right? Yeah, exactly. The players have to tell the story. Totally. And do you guys have any sort of techniques or any exercises that you could recommend for players who might be struggling with improv? Warm up. <laughs> Practice a lot. Warm up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Vocal warm ups help you <laughs> get loose. Physical warm ups, if you want, as well, if you're in a safe space. Um, <laughs> honestly, it, it sounds rather silly, right? But um, it, it helps you sort of let go of things, I think. Um, you know, shake it all out, that kind of stuff. It, there's a reason it's done in every acting class ever. It really does sort of put you in a looser, more go-with-the-flow mentality. It really does, if you embody it physically. And actually, JC, just jumping off of that, just because you said be ready to let go, and actually just jumping off that, I don't necessarily have like a specific um, physical or vocal exercise, but the one thing that immediately came to my mind, it's really more adopting a mentality and one of my acting teachers, um, his go-to sort of like phrase for everything was hold on tightly, let go lightly. Oh, I love that. Sense, right? Mm. Yeah, that's great. That's and cool. um, it's something that you can even apply to improv, D&D, or to life itself, really, which is the best kind of advice, right? But hold yeah. on tightly, let go lightly. And, uh, you know, obviously you can interpret it, it however you want, but I've always taken it to be like, Say, for example, going back to, you know, it's funny, JC, the more we talk about this, the more I realize, wow, like, you know, the game we play story is really so much about, it's really just like playing D&D, &D, right? Yep. You're all trying really to achieve yeah. that sort of narrative catharsis, both in the improv game and then, you know, right. in D&D &D as well. But I think for a lot of players who are, um, and I have to imagine too, you know, my group is pretty good. We, we've been friends for a long time, so we don't have anyone who's just really hunkered down and being like, oh, this is what I want to do, contrary to right where the narrative is shifting. But I, I think adopting that mentality, uh, hold on tightly, let go lightly, you have values that are important to your character. You have things that um, you, know, you want to, again, make a strong choice. But should the narrative shift, or like JC said, oh, Bobby's going to be an astronaut, you have to be ready to pivot into this new trajectory mm -hmm. and whatever those values are, whatever story we are now telling 
post this pivot, you know, we latch onto that and we make that the best we can be. Exactly. You know? Yeah. I love that. And yeah, I mean, it's not going to help your die rolls, right? Like if you're, if you're coming at this from a mechanical perspective, like, well, how can I get better at D and D? Uh, it's not going to make my character better, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about mm-hmm. the more social aspect of the game where mm-hmm. it's a lot more fun if you sort of lean into these things. So, yeah. Also, I love the um, I love what you said, Nick, and I love you, your acting teacher for that saying. It feels like the very opposite of 38 Special, you know, the song Hold On Loosely. <laughs> 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 so I love that. Yeah. Very awesome. Thanks. Have you ever DM'd at all, Nikki? I, I have uh once and my gosh was it it's it's hard i applaud all of you for for what is essentially a a nightmare of a job to me because you know i've been playing i've been playing this campaign for two and a half years and uh, even as a player there are times where i'm like crap what is that rule like how did mm. i get to the stat and so for all of you to make this magic happen behind a, a screen it's uh really is impressive to me i i dm'd once for a a fundraiser uh, I was doing for another for one of my friends uh, theater companies, oh, and cool. uh, they're they're Shakespeare themed or they're Shakespeare themed organization. So I said, you know, we'll do a one shot, uh, great based on Hamlet. Oh, wicked! Oh, okay, yeah, and it was a lot of fun. Love that idea. Oh, that was you know, so that Wait, was a lot there, of fun. Is there a market like an untapped market where we can mix all of these ideas together? A D and D shakespearean improv show can we do Definitely. that right. <laughs> jc Definitely. we can make that happen we, we, gotta we, make that happen, that we right? should do that man that'd be, that'd we be used the batu space like we had jay come in and run tech for us like that's it was, amazing oh, yeah this crazy. was a little bit before i think you came back last right. year but uh, i mean had you been there obviously i would have like tapped so tapped cool. into you yeah, for yeah, sure yeah, yeah. well you got to do a sequel you know, you know. Well, you could do <laughs> like a electric boogaloo. Oh well, yeah. Well, I mean, obviously electric boogaloo, number one choice. But uh, <laughs> you could you could do Midsummer's Night Dream, like set in the Feywild. Perfect. Oh, yeah. totally. Yeah, of course. Yeah. 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 You know, for sick. someone who's uh, you know, I, I mean, there's so many of Shakespeare stories that are just like ripe for a campaign. Macbeth. Yep. For example, would be awesome. Yeah, that's yeah. a good one. The three hags you know, in the, the beginning. Yes, you the Tempest, there, yeah. right? You have a, a powerful wizard stuck on an island. island. Yep. You know? With a uh, ooh, Caliban could be a measle, you know, from the Volos Guide. That would um that'd be really good. Anyway, I'm sorry, I, 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 my knowledge of the Tempest it should be much better than it is having studied at school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. It's the one with the island and the and the, yeah, the, 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 the invisible yeah. person for a bit. Uh, yeah, I, I remember kind of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Shakespeare's an untapped D and D campaign potential. There you go. Yeah, I think some of you, for for some of your more social players too, you could play some of the more talky. I mean, they're all talk. I mean, all of Shakespeare's plays are pretty talky, but yeah, you know, you could true. definitely yeah. have you know like much ado about nothing or mm-hmm. what have you mm-hmm. yep. it'd be interesting to see where they would take it wouldn't it you know yeah. especially with some of the ones that are like such solid established stories mm-hmm. right just to kind of right. see how they would go with it interesting do you guys do you guys have drunk shakespeare in the uk drunk you know? shakespeare yes yeah. we do we've got yeah. um uh well it's, i think it's a, it's a is it a channel four program or yeah uh, i think you're right yeah yeah Something like that, isn't it? That's I've cool. not, I've not actually seen it. I know they did the drunk history. Um, oh, they did drunk series. histories. That's that's, the, that's what I'm. Thinking oh, that's of. what you're thinking. That's of. what I'm thinking. Of. Drunk histories. Yeah, yeah, drunk histories. Yeah, that's what yeah, I'm thinking. It's, of. it's they, a similar. They get concept. hammered and they just talk about what happened in history. <laughs> and it's their version of events. <laughs> right. There. It's very very funny. Yeah. So there's um there's a similar concept sort of uh, in person live show 
in New York. Have you ever gone, Nikki? Have you ever seen it? No, I've had a, I have, I had a friend who uh, yeah, was yeah. part of that. Basically, um, you sit in the round in, at least when I went, I don't know if it's changed in all these years, but um, you sit in the round in a not theater space. It's like very a very intimate space. And the actors, there's usually three or four of them. And one of them gets absolutely smashed like absolutely pissed throughout the show and (laughs) has to do basically a shortened version of a shakespeare play like an abridged shakespeare play while struggling (laughs) through all of the inebriation and it usually leads to a lot of a lot of laughs and shenanigans so yeah it's a it's a good show just one of them okay i was about to say it must be so hard to wrangle an entire cast that are just yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. no, it's always, it's always just the <laughs> one face. person. All completely shit-faced. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, I think there's a thing where you like you can make a drinking game out of it because the audience can drink too. Um, oh, well, cool. Yeah, yeah. and it's cool. all... Oh, I'm starting to remember more. It's like you get your drinks served to you through like a false bookshelf in an otherwise like library right so the bar is behind one of the library shelves and they serve your drinks through there if i remember that correctly who knows maybe i was too drunk and i'm misremembering (laughs) so how so how does batsu compare to that then what do you guys do on the stage what's your kind of um is, is it is it weekly you do it once a week or oh no oh no <laughs> seven days. seven times a week <laughs> seven times a week you have to do yeah. improv bloody so, hell so the show the show runs uh seven performances a week uh, we double up on fridays and saturdays mm-hmm. uh so we run tuesday through saturday um and yeah we're not always uh scheduled for all seven thankfully <laughs> only because uh you know, I, I'm not sure. I guess most people don't know what the, the whole draw to the show is. Um, but uh, basically, take we, it away, Nikki. Oh yeah, boy, yeah, tell, us, tell, tell us. Oh man, <laughs> tell us. It's tell wild us. because this is the exact spiel that I uh, that I happen to give, and you know, you'll find out why. Um, so basically, we are a short form improv comedy show where uh, JC, myself, and other comedians we get up on stage and we uh, basically play games, tell some jokes, and hopefully the audience finds us funny. However, the name of the show is Batsu, which which means penalty or punishment in Japanese. So if we mess up or if we're not funny, we are at risk of receiving horrible, horrible punishments. Oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, yeah, which both heighten the drama and the, st- and the stakes. Yep. You know? Brilliant. So and the I, I think for that. Right, right. And the comedy. I think philosophically, some might argue <laughs> that the, the, the punishments themselves are the real comedy. And everything yeah, else before right. that is yeah, just we're, the, yeah. we're not really doing the work up there. They want to see us fail. It's a very yeah. uh, Schadenfreude sort of experience. Absolutely vicious. Cool. The New York, the New York audience. You know. Yeah. So, oh, really. Where about you do it? We do it in the village. Um, so we're on First Avenue and Fourth Street. Fourth Street um, but yeah. we also have a second location. We're doing the show in Chicago as well. I do. I've never been, but I'm dying to go. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of the UK, we are actually we actually just had a, a meeting about this, but we are um, taking the show to the uh, Fringe Festival, the Edinburgh Woo, awesome. Fringe Festival uh, yeah, next fantastic. August. So we are partnered uh, up with Underbelly. Yeah, yep, it's yep, going to be like, like a couple yeah. of weeks. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. yeah. Right. Actually, I just looked at my calendar. I was like, all right, we're doing the podcast this morning, and oh, I'm gone. <laughs> And then <laughs> like you're this gone. is coming up. Yeah. yeah, and then I'm just gone. Oh, <laughs> Have you guys yeah. been to Edinburgh, Edinburgh before? Once I've never been. Yeah. Oh, it's a beautiful city. Yeah, you'll yeah. love it. Yeah. It's really, yeah. really beautiful I remember city. being absolutely defeated by climbing Arthur's seat. I tried... I, I really try, got to the top and then they were like, okay, awesome. Look, there's another peak over there that's even higher. Go there. I was like, no, oh, no more. 
I'm going back down. I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. Um, but it was fun. It's a yeah, beautiful city, great people, um, mm. lots of good memories. Yeah, Some really good, silent. really good bookshops there. Check out Ooh, the bookshops. Yeah, really bookshop. good bookshops. There's okay. there's also a very good bar uh, called the Cocktail Geeks. Um, that are, are run by friends of Jade's, my uh, my girlfriends, um, and they are a like geeky themed bar, and they have like <gasps> a cocktail menu themed to stuff. And I think during Fringe, they are Star Wars cantina themed. Yes, oh. love that. Um, great. But yeah, they're they're great, and they right, like are really dedicated to like getting their menu perfect. You can order, in fact, like from their from their website and have like them deliver like cocktail kits to you to make make them at home um yeah. but yeah they put a lot of time and effort into like That's theming great. their cocktails for like the themes they have in the bar Amazing. Uh, and it's incredible yeah yeah I love can it. i get like blue milk i'm pretty <laughs> sure there's yeah they were like <laughs> there's there's a, a lot of blue stars awesome rob what are we going to start our own uh roll dark theme or a roll dark bar with themed drinks for D and stuff we got to do that oh uh, soon yeah, yeah i'd love i'd love to so uh, i would love to yeah it's in the three-year goal plan <laughs> absolutely yeah stick that in the uh, the three month plan i think that'd be cool yeah. three months yeah, plan yeah, oh, hell yeah <laughs> let's go let's go <laughs> uh, awesome. fantastic yeah. So, um, what are some effective ways to encourage player engagement and participation in improvisational world building during a D and D campaign? Okay, that is a yeah, that is a good question. Um, I suppose if you have a session zero um, and sort of get mm. their backstories, you can draw from that in the world building straight away. So, for mm. instance, if someone says, "Well, I want to belong to an organization of rogues," and they have this sort of code of ethics, you could be like brilliant i can use that i can build off it and i can take other stuff from that stuff will be new to you but we'll we'll have done this together and you you sort of inspire and sort of seed ideas into into other people and i think that's yeah. that's that's one of the great things about D um is that yeah you just take little bits of ideas and someone will that will spark mm-hmm. something in someone else and they'll instantly be like yes okay that's perfect what you've said just then has given me a slightly better idea um but thank you <laughs> thank you for that first one um yeah world yeah. buildings well world buildings are a cool place to 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 do it because there's you don't need to do it in character either so you, you can just bounce ideas off people without having to also think about in character stuff at the same time like how mm. would how would this other person react because getting into character isn't something that comes naturally to to a lot of people who haven't acted or or, or done improv before um how how would how would you guys encourage someone then to get into character and to find their voice their character's voice? Yeah, are are we are we thinking more about like how do we uh, how do we embody a character while playing, or are we or how to sort of uh, discover what the you know what I mean? Is it more just like mm. you know what I mean? Or are we still in the discovery phase phase of like finding out who this character is and what their mm. voice is? Yeah, I guess in a way, it's like when you've got players that are particularly nervous about role playing and it's the first time they've done it and they're mm-hmm. at a table where there's a lot of, you know, big personalities that are role playing, perhaps sure. um, you know, the dungeon masters putting on all these amazing voices. And this one particular player is like, you know, they just can't seem to find their character's voice. They can't seem to find and if and maybe they have it, but they're just they're just so sort of like embarrassed, perhaps or. Or they they feel insecure about about mm-hmm. doing it because they're because they're around so many other people that are so good at it. Um, you know, what would you do to kind of encourage them? Sure, I you know uh, again, I'm 
if I were if I were to you know DM or even just as a player, I imagine that especially if somebody is new at anything, right? You just sort of want to reward them for taking a step mm. in the right direction, right? Because yeah. it can be, you know, JC and I we work with volunteers a lot in the in the improv show. In fact, like a big draw for what we do is that we invite audience members to come up and participate with us. And um, for a lot of people, you know, at first when they're signing up, they're super gung ho. But it is so different when they finally step onto the stage and they see what the show is about. And they're like, oh, crap. Like, I have, what am I doing? Yeah, you know? They get intimidated by like what they perceive as like, oh, these guys know what they're doing. And now I'm just going up there and I have no clue, you know? Right. And, and, and I think the key, to, um, the key to those interactions is that, you know, I always tell the volunteers, like, listen, we're, one of us will always be up here to kind of coach you along, you know, and we'll yeah. take small mm. baby steps, right? Well, it, it's the little things that help sort of round out the performance because I feel like once – if they feel like the spotlight is entirely on them, you know, the, the instinct is to shrink away. Whereas if we take small baby steps and, you know, JC, the, when we were playing um, – Schoolyard Insults, for example, which is a, a charades-based game. Yeah, well, I always say, hey, right? it's a great game. Basically, you know, long story short, it's just a it's just a hyped-up version of charades where the uh, the volunteer is trying to um, the volunteer is working with one of us to um, clue in another improver on you know a word or whatever it is. Right. But in terms of working with them, it's always like you want to reward them and 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 say yes to their ideas because. The volunteer really doesn't know what they're doing, but they will make suggestions to me. And I'll say, oh, wow, even if it's not optimized, I'm like, yeah, let's do that, right? Hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, And exactly. that way they – exactly. And, and then you're able to be like, oh, okay, well, then you throw out a suggestion back and they say, oh, cool, let's do that. And all of a sudden you kind of have a, a plan. Even if it is a little shaky, even if it's not perfect, it is something that they're like, okay, I feel empowered. Because, you know, I've taken ownership of this, um, of this plan of attack. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's great right. advice. Yeah. Honestly, I, I think one of the really cool things to do is create opportunities because as DMs, it's very easy to focus on the players that do talk and do want to engage mm -hmm. and do sort of step in and, uh, take the spotlight a lot because they're the ones responding to you and you can be just as equally nervous as a player because sometimes it's a new group or it's a group of total strangers not your friends and you want to make sure that they're all having a good time people often forget that like you know dms are about as equally nervous as sometimes doing characters and and yeah. exploring the world because maybe you're with a bunch of power gamers and you're more of a bard person yourself and you love just talking and doing rp where they just want to roll dice and have combat but if you take a moment to remember um to create unique opportunities to really focus in on the people that aren't usually participating um they start to feel more of the group or more as part mm. of the group and more comfortable and little by little through just a sheer amount of practice especially if it's an ongoing campaign you can help them come out of their shell if need be that being said i feel like it's also important to remember that some players enjoy just sort of taking a step back and watching everything play out and not taking too big of a role i always try and check in with my players after a handful of sessions and be like hey how's it going are you enjoying what, what aspects do you like what aspects don't you like what would you like to see more of less of etc and part of that is also with shyer players um, or people who haven't quite found their character's voice and stuff. 
I'll talk to them about it. I'll be, um, I'll sometimes say, well, yeah, okay. Um, we can help you with that. If you want a little bit more, do you want me to continue sort of focusing in on you and like saying, Hey, you know, everyone else is doing this by the campfire. What is, what is Zenithar up to while you're, you know, the rest of them are all, uh, making s'mores and he's like oh well um i'm reading my my wizard book i'm like awesome well while you're reading your wizard book you actually discover a few notes in the margins from uh, the previous owner of the spell book or whatever right I'll, I'll try and find something to give them and that creates that opportunity for them to start engaging more and thinking less about themselves and more about what their players will do in that or their characters rather will do in that yeah. moment hmm. um so yeah yeah doing a bit of that i think I think that's a really great point, JC, because, yeah, I think engaging on, on different planes, you know what I mean? Just because, like, a, care, a player may not be, you know, may not feel comfortable or at ease sort of taking center stage and playing a grand, you know, like, role-playing. Right. But having, giving them moments of, like, oh, quietly in the background, you know, so-and-so who's maybe a little more shy, maybe a little more bookish, both in character or in real life, like, you give them opportunities to sort of, like, influence the narrative and... Uh, do things in a way that they're you know more comfortable with that are still exactly. meaningful and yeah that's that's great dude yeah yeah mm. and um to the other side of that i was also thinking like um to the specific aspect rob from your question of mm. finding their character's voice maybe they're not shy at all right we've been mm. kind of assuming that mm. but what about if they're just like struggling <clears throat> to sort of figure out what their character sounds like um well we'll be doing a, a gm workshop in oxfordshire very shortly so exactly we're all talking more <laughs> about this um but um, part of that is just using elements from your backstory to help develop that, right? So I'll, I'll, I've done this actually relatively recently. I had a player who had a, a nobleman who was sort of upset and, and um, had his whole life turned upside down and <laughs> had to join the party on, a, on, a, on their quest. And they were struggling to sort of make them unique. And they're not necessarily, you know, good at voices. And I was like, you don't have to be. Um, let's talk about the, your character. They're a noble, right? Okay. What race? Oh, well, they're a dragonborn. Wonderful. So what do you think a dragonborn would sound like? I know with me and my dragonborn, they have a lot of scales that they have to overcome and they have thinner tongues, right? More reptilian, thinner tongues, sometimes even forked. So there's a lot of sibilance. There's a lot of uh, drawing out of the S's and they sometimes have to... Uh, have, they have a bit of a gravelly voice as well, because think about their breath weapons. Imagine if you're a black dragonborn and you have an acid pouch in the back mm. of your throat that you constantly have to sort of speak over or under, right? So start adding a little bit more gravel to your voice. And then mm. they're like, oh, but he's he's very posh. He's a sort of um, scholar. And I was like, wonderful. Well, you can still sort of have that gravelly voice while you add a bit of poshness. And you don't need to have an accent. You can still make... Uh, a character sound posh just by lingering a little bit more on the letters and mm. making sure everything is well enunciated and sort of dancing. Imagine a waveform. Dance your letters up and down the hills and valleys of this waveform. And so little things like that. And, you know, sometimes it takes, sometimes it doesn't. Depends on the player. Um, mm. But yeah, that, that player started really coming into their own. Now, they didn't sound anything like I had proposed, but they <laughs> they took something out of what I had been sort of working with them and came up with this really cool uh, voice. And then in some right. campaigns, 
gets more comedic and i'm like all right well you know what what kind of character is he and he's like, yeah he's a um i don't know he's kind of weird he's like a christopher walken type and i'm like wow great so just do that for the one shot you'll be great okay <laughs> we're done <laughs> brilliant so if you were to give um a player sort of like a real key sort of point of advice or a key tool that you could offer them from your improv experience to help them in their games what would that be um again going back to that game story jc that you know mm-hmm. that we play a lot um just because you know we've played this game maybe like a hundred times if <laughs> we do this in like the past show, month yeah, yeah yeah exactly play this and <laughs> The whole idea is that like some of the best stories are, are are the ones in which we are all on the same page and we're all firing off uh, instantaneously, right? Yeah. The the ones that kind of stumble our bit are the ones where we're just sort of spinning our wheels trying to find our footing. Right. When it comes to you know playing a character and and sort of improving and role playing, I think the same principles apply. Uh, one of the things that I always feel is underappreciated from uh, from story is not being afraid uh, of tropes actually mm, just to just mm. start off with right mm. because it's not to say that we are copy and pasting you know uh, uh you know a, a formula a, a, of some a formula right or a plot beat for beat but they do but <clears throat> tropes exist for a reason and i think they help uh create a launching pad for everyone to sort of get on the same page absolutely yeah. you know and then the the, the comedy comes from the submersion or the subversion of tropes, but you need the tropes in the first place. So yeah, for groundwork, it's great. Like, you know, we'll say, um, I don't know, Bobby worked as a grocery clerk and he was late for work that morning um, because his car broke down. And then someone will take and build on that and was like, actually he was driving an Audi and his car broke down because he had no idea how to drive it or something. Terrible example. But, but yeah, it comes from setting the groundwork and then using that as a launch pad. So totally. Right. And, and I think when it comes to making character, applying that practically to, to creating a character or being in, in role. Yeah. Don't be afraid to, you know, sort of play around with tropes and see what clicks, you know, like, like you were saying earlier, Rob, where, you know, something sparks an idea or you're like, you know, I kind of like, I don't know, elements of uh, Peter Parker's origin story, you know, Spider-Man's origin story or whatever it is. Mm. And then there's something where you're like, okay, we have the overall trajectory. What makes this special and unique to you is you filling in the little details, um, you know, filling in Mm. everything else around it. And then once, you know, you're comfortable and you find something that really does click, then you can ditch all of that. But at least starting off, you know, not being afraid of tropes or uh, working off of something is better uh, and helps avoid uh, analysis paralysis. Yeah. That's really, yeah. Tropes, tropes That's are also nice. funny. Tropes yeah. are like people recognize them and we can and we can use them. Like, don't be afraid. We were talking about this in the last podcast, right? When mm-hmm. James, you were reading that tale, that uh, horror story from RPG Horror Stories. Yeah. Don't be afraid to be the big dumb fighter who with the low intelligence and wisdom score. That's yeah. a gold mine of funny moments right there. Like, absolutely. Yes, it's been done to death. And if you want to find ways to subvert it as you go through, fine. But like, it's a great place to start. Yes, the yeah. the overly bookish nervous wizard is a is a done to death trope. Do it anyway. <clears throat> it's a blast, right? Embrace. Yes, yeah, exactly. Embrace it. Yeah, totally. So you've got like a wealth of media then to draw on. It's like when you're first creating a character and yeah. you're like, oh, I, I really like 
Merry or Pippin. That's sort of how I'm going to mm-hmm. build my halfling to be that sort of happy-go-lucky. It's just something that you that exists already that you can draw inspiration from and then flesh out as you go. And it's it's a lot easier yeah, nice. to have a starting block than it is to just be like, I'm going to try and do something that no one's ever done before. Because you won't. It's impossible. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah you, you find your character develops over every session as well, of course, don't you? You know, it's you, you try things out. That doesn't work. Okay, let's try something else. And yeah, like you say, don't be afraid to experiment, you know? Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned that, James. Like, yeah, I, I use them, the fact that there's media out there so much. If a person really is hitting, hitting a brick wall with coming up with their character or, or doing stuff, I'll tell them, what movie do you like? Like what, what sort of movie adjacent character do you like? You like, it doesn't matter what they answer with, right? I'm like, okay. Predator 2. Do it. <laughs> Use that. Make clicking sounds as you do a survival check. I don't even care. Like go for, or, or you're not the predator. Fine. Just start yelling, come over here or whatever. Right. Um, Danny Glover. Yeah. Oh, like oh, like Danny Glover, yeah. Predator 2. Yeah, God, get the sergeant breathing down my ass. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Sure like, oh, yeah. yeah Everyone, everyone's breathing down his ass, apparently. <laughs> it's not a place you want breath. <laughs> no, it's not. No, one's, no one wants breath down there. Everyone's lining up to breathe down his ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah totally. uh, cool. Okay, great. Well, thank you so, so much, Nikki. It's been wonderful to have you on the podcast. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. Oh, this is lo- this has been lovely. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah, really you have to, you'll have to you have to come back on again. Absolutely. Um, nice one. Yeah. If anybody's in the UK and listening to this, you know, come come by, check us out at the Fringe. That's right. Next month. Yeah. To plug. <laughs> do, do you know where you're going to be? What, where you're stationed and stuff? Yeah, we are. Uh, we are. Shoot, we just had this yesterday. Um, I know. We're going to um, be the underbelly. The underbelly yeah, so, theater. Uh, yeah. Right. Underbelly is, uh, we're going to be the Belly Dancer Theater uh, over okay, cool. in Edinburgh. So yes. come by, check us out. We're playing, I think, every day at 11 o'clock. Yeah, I think. it's late. I think it's yeah, like that, is, that is late. <laughs> we're going to be yeah, capping yeah, off. Yeah, yeah. But wow. it's a fun, it's a great, fun late night comedy show, and you'll be drinking throughout, and it's a blast. So, oh, yeah. It's a wonderful time. Awesome. Yeah. Great. great. Well, thank you so much, everybody. Yeah, um, thank you guys. Yeah, lovely to have you. And for those listeners who are unfamiliar with Rolldark, we are an active community made up of over 360 members in our Discord. We offer private and corporate games of D&D as well as public games that you can join online as a single player. If you'd like to find out more information, visit our website www.rolldark.co.uk. So thank you to both my co-hosts James and JC and our special guest Nikki Core. Thank you so much for being here Nikki. Um, If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, follow and download. So until next week, dear listeners, cherish every friendship forged, savour the stories you've shared and let the magic of the tabletop guide you on your own extraordinary quests. Bye, Bye, everybody. everybody. (laughs) See you. (laughs)